Just before we get started this week, this episode was recorded when it was unclear what was going on in Maui and the terrible fires devastating the island. So we get into some sensitive discussion about destruction and all that stuff. And, you know, we want to take a moment right now to direct you if you're feeling so inclined or you have the ability to donate. There's the Maui Food Bank and the Maui Strong Fund. Those are two that reputable ones that Kristen and I both found could use a lot of help right now. MauiFoodBank.org and the Maui Strong Fund can be found at HawaiiCommunityFoundation.org forward slash Maui dash strong and then Hawaiian Red Cross. You have to specify the donation there for disaster relief. Also, Hawaii Community Fund takes U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars, pounds, euros, New Zealand dollars, and Australian dollars. Just in case you're an international listener and you're wondering how you can help, you can donate using your native funds. Obviously, this is a terrible tragedy, and we just wanted to take a moment and let people know if they wanted to help or they were wondering what they could do, that there are organizations looking for people just like you. Thanks. This week on Trek, Mary Kill... Suleiman, Klingons, Florida. Next. UPN Wednesday witnessed the event of the season. An unknown alien race devastates Earth. And for the Enterprise crew, find the people who did this. A dangerous new mission. You need me. After this, nothing will be the same. The chilling Enterprise season finale you can't miss. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary Kill, a Star Trek podcast that doesn't tiptoe around when it comes to judging episodes of our favorite show. We're very serious this week because we're looking at The Expanse, the season two finale of Star Trek Enterprise, which at the time was just called Enterprise. Uh, it's a somber affair written well after, but in direct response to 9-11 and America's hunt for Osama bin Laden. Kristen, before we get into this episode, uh, I need to apologize because I was just going on and on about Captain Jaheel and all that crap. Uh, it turns out that the way that you pronounce the episode of Deep Space Nine's fourth episode, I've been getting it wrong for 30 years. It's Babel, like the Tower of Babel, Journey to Babel. Oh. And I had said it as Babel, like Baby Babel, mm-hmm. but they're completely different things or they're different words and so i just want to apologize to you that i got oh i don't care Uh, apology accepted (laughs) (laughs) i thought they were almost synonymous the pronunciations irrelevant not not the case anyway okay the expanse uh aired on upn the united paramount network rest in peace may 21st 2003 so we're in the 20th anniversary year with this one and like i said i got a little obsessed with Second season episodes, but also anniversary episodes. So here we are, 20 years on, doing uh, The Expanse. It was written by Star Trek's former head honcho, Rick Berman, with Brandon Braga, who was the showrunner at the time, directed by Alan Croker. Uh, Memory Alpha synopsis. After a devastating attack on Earth by an alien probe of unknown origin, Enterprise is recalled and sent into into a strange expanse on a new, more vital mission. There's like a... an alien species known as the Zindi. They're behind the attack. Their plan was basically to send a probe to test out a laser that basically cut Florida away from the United States like that Bugs Bunny gif, (laughs) that joke from Looney Tunes. It was was a cartoon. Yeah. yeah, Animated motion picture, I guess you could say. Now it just exists as a gif in popular culture. Yeah. (laughs) Where he where Bugs Bunny saws Florida away from the United States, kicks it away, and then throws his hands up in celebration as it floats away. But in this case, a laser beam just cuts a four thousand kilometer swath from Florida to Venezuela. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, the episode also wraps up this kind of lingering and ill-considered arc where Captain Archer, Scott (laughs) Scott Bakula, is captured. Uh, he he was on the run for. He was a fugitive of the Klingon High Command for reasons. We're actually going to do the episode that kicks off this mini arc uh, a little, little bit later in our season, but it wraps this up. It kind of ties it in there and creates the false jeopardy in action because the episode is kind of like 
the bad thing happened. Now we're just kind of sitting in it. Mm-hmm. But obviously the Zindi attack is a direct reflection of 9-11. Oh boy. It's pretty loaded. <laughs> yeah. I know you hadn't seen Enterprise before. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I don't want to necessarily talk about 9-11 right now. And I definitely gave you a lot of notes, but it's like half the time it's like me just trying to sort out what do we talk about. I like that you ha- I like that you have in here. What were you doing on that day? Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Would you it like does... to know what I was doing during the attacks on September 11th, 2001? I was sleeping because that shit happened early on the West Coast. OK, that is what I was doing. I I was asleep, too, but I was a, an RA at the time. And one of my residents who was already up uh, banged on my door telling me that we are under attack. Uh, and so that's how I woke up to find it right after the second plane had hit. That's um, like so dramatic. We're under attack. Well, his was more, he was a ROTC guy. So he was more, uh, we're under attack. They attacked us kind of like, haha, we've been provoked. Now we get to have a response. And it's like very vague like of who's there. Not quite, but sort of like it's on like that kind of thing. That's what I remember. And obviously there's kind of unspeakable horrors and tragedy that accompanies it preceded it happened during the day in the aftermath. Uh, I'm sure all of us or a lot of us has had our lives touched by it in some way. Family members who, you know, signed up afterwards to join up in the military operations or were involved in any, anything going on with that. It had a long tail culturally uh, in so many ways, it seems almost in bad taste for us to talk about it like profoundly in a real oh, but way. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, and then it's kind of unavoidable because our popular media became effectively a direct reflection of the war on terror to the mm-hmm. point where now looking back 20 years later, you can all, there's, a, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to sound nuts. And like, were, were, were people just instructed to, this is how things have to, stories have to be told now. That's what it feels like. <laughs> It almost feels like there was a, a directive, like we have to address this war on terror. The media apparatus has to be in full, full-throated support of the war effort, which was not quite the public sentiment. I mean, I just was scrolling through 2003. I remember protesting and being against uh, the invasion of Iraq. Basically, the you know 2001, 9/11 happens. You know, Star Trek takes Star Trek was shooting. Uh, its first season. It premiered literally two weeks after 9-11 happened. So it was like really early for its uh, startup. And so they didn't really get around to addressing it for some time. But in the year they chose to address it, 2003, we invaded Iraq, wrapped it all up. The mission accomplished was like the very first day of May in 2003. So it's like there was already a lot that happened. Oh, I didn't know it was (laughs) that early. I mean, I remember it was early. Yeah, so it was a too early one. What some would say, (laughs) of course, people were saying it at the time. (laughs) Like before, memes were memes. The mission accomplished picture of the mission accomplished banner was something you would just put on the internet whenever somebody really, you know, counted their hit their chickens a little bit too early before they hatched. Okay, and it was very funny because. George W. Bush flew onto an aircraft carrier in a fucking jet to the protest of a lot of Secret Service saying, that's really, really dangerous, sir. And he's like, who cares? To a giant mission accomplished banner. And you know what? We didn't get out of that shit until recently. 20 years on. If you Google mission accomplished banner, (laughs) the first result is, after the images, is Wikipedia saying mission accomplished speech. And then the the snippet that Google uses from Wikipedia to give you like the brief description of the link says mission accomplished speech. The speech and the mission accomplished banner were swiftly criticized by people who pointed out that the war was hardly over. Yeah, like that day, like that night's episode (laughs) of The Daily Show and like all all, not all of the the nighttime, the um, late night talk shows were giving him shit about it. Rightfully so. I think there was also that was was that the one where he was wearing the flight suit and it was like yes, intentionally swelling his bulge. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and for those of you are too young, George W. Bush famously is a draft dodger. So, or like he, yeah. he got a cushy job in the Air National Texas Air National Guard and didn't have to go to Vietnam because his dad was a senator at the time. Also, and then this gets lost to history with some of the jokes, but he ran as an idiot. Yeah, like, before the- he was, and I still have, well, I, I actually lost these books in a flood, but before he was even elected, there was a book published in print called The Bushisms, and it's just dumb quotes of his. Like, it is hard to understate how fucking stupid this guy was. He was exalted as the C student he was, as that was like an impenetrable uh, point in his favor. Like that's what made him a good presidential candidate. And one stick, one sticks out in my mind for some reason. And it's more and more of our imports are coming from overseas. (laughs) And this shit daily, daily. He'd say some crazy shit like that. Yeah. And then a guy in Iraq threw a shoe at him and it was so funny. The entire campaign and the Supreme Court getting involved, you know, Florida, you know, yeah. the first eight That's months of the think- presidency was all a slow moving train wreck. And then 9-11 happened. It's it's a lot like, oh, my God, Donald Trump is the fucking president of the United States. And then a once in a hundred year pandemic happens and he's the president when that's happening. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's what it, it was is. like that. <laughs> Only people didn't realize what a horrible position we were in until it was too late. But I do want to touch on the Florida stuff, though. Which part? The destruction of Florida in our fictional show yeah. that we're talking about or the Florida election? Both. Both. <laughs> okay. right. this, t- this takes place in 2003, meaning the closest general election, presidential general election was 2000. If you didn't live through that, were you too young or maybe just weren't paying attention? Analytics show we do have Florida, listeners that young, so congratulations yeah. for not living in that. <laughs> in the 2000 election, Florida literally couldn't figure out how to vote, and like they had these the hanging chads, the pregnant chads, the recount, the Brooks Brothers riot. Yeah, and like even people in Florida, like gee, I don't even know if they're going to let us vote next time. It was a joke that like people in Florida are fucking idiots and don't know how to vote. And I feel like this episode is absolutely touching on that there's no way that oh we see florida being ripped in half by a laser beam is not intentional i feel like today florida was the butt of every joke also everything that happened from the election it kind of just bubbled it was that was like five years before florida man became a joke probably actually even more than that but by the time we get to florida man being a meme it's like, yes, obviously, of course. So like mm-hmm. it it was a lightning yeah. rod. But anytime anything weird in the news happened, you're like, oh, it had to happen in Florida. And it was, you know, nine times out of ten, it was. Yeah. Maybe Florida Man happened right after the bath salts started becoming a thing. That seems like <laughs> when they were paired together. The bath salt attacks and people were eating faces. Uh but yes. Uh, so as a science fiction place, I guess Florida or always being weird makes sense. I, I do think, though, they were working backwards from like, well, where is Trip Tucker from? And let's give him a, a reason, a personal reason to be really upset. This is the episode where Trip's younger sister is killed in the attack. And there's a lot of weird man writing around all that, too. Yes. Which annoyed me in this rewatch more than I can remember. I remember at the time when this episode came out, Star Trek's uh, Enterprise, as it was just known, seasons one and two, I was bored with it. I'm pretty sure I had stopped watching it like religiously or staying up on it because it was just a copy of a copy of a copy. It was like watching a pitcher pitch, you know, beyond their pitch count. They were tired. The people making the show had been making Star Trek for a long time. So then there were all these rumblings of like, oh, we're going to do this course correction. And obviously in response to what's going on in the real world, that's where Star Trek's always been best. And, you know, 20 years later, 15 years later, Scott Bakula has been asked about that. And he's basically said, yeah, that's when the show really hit the ground running. Once we devised, once we had a purpose, once we had a mission, that's when it really started to work and click. I think I'm going to come around on a kind of a different idea. This was a mission change for the franchise. This really was a pivotal moment in Star Trek history. Last week we did uh, Babel, which uh, was a 30 year old episode. 
And, you know, so 30 years ago, Star Trek was doing things about what if people had trouble communicating with each other because of old sins and other conflicts. And then five years before that, we did the child. And it was like, what if a woman wanted an abortion? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like, but we're all trying to understand each other and learn and help each other. And uh, we're going to be doing episodes, you know, that are 50 and 55 years old. It's remarkable to see in the time what Star Trek was from its beginning, even just 30 years ago, to what it is 20 years ago. Because I think from this episode on, this is what Star Trek is. It is an action-adventure show that does not create any separation from what's happening down the street to our world today. And as kind of abhors imagination and rules in favor of violence and revenge. That seems to be what Star Trek's bent on now. Mm. And I just want to circle back. 9-11 happened when they were shooting the ninth episode. And you can see how this really did impact the show. Everything I kind of commented on about how it felt tired. I think kind of it knocked Star Trek off of its axis. The people even making the show, if they wanted to get excited about it. It's hard to make something about a hopeful future in a terrifying present. I, yeah. I, I really sympathize with that. I mean, it wasn't just the attacks, because after that, we had, what, the anthrax thing? I don't think we ever found that guy. And the shoe bombers and, uh, you know, all this nonsense of, like, now you can't take your shoes off at the airport. That's why, because one guy tried to light his shoe on fire one time on a plane. One time. And we have the news going, like, great, we have something to goose our ratings. Yeah, and it's, like, a, just a ticker at the bottom of every screen telling you the worst news you could think of. Your yeah, exactly. You live in an apartment complex in North Dakota. Well, guess what? Tar- terrorists are targeting where mm-hmm. you live. They could be. <laughs> You'll yeah, have everyone to thought they were going to be the next one mm-hmm. dead from you know some bombing or whatever. But they were shooting episode nine the day nine eleven happened, uh, and per memory alpha. Mike Sussman stated that he still cannot watch that episode, which was called Civilization, as he could see in the footage the enthusiasm and light go from all the actors' eyes because of the event. Yeah. Uh, Scott Bakula was interviewed by Bob Saget, rest in peace, when Bob Saget was live and had a podcast. This is 2021. He said in part, life imitating art and art imitating life. That was a very real part of our show, and I think that it holds up. This is talking about when 9-11 colored the series. I think that there was merit in doing that. It was really hard. If you're a writer, you're going to write about what's going on in your world and in your life. And that certainly took over all of our lives for a good amount of time, that event, and still to this day. So all that dancing around, it all is the background, the very necessary background to understanding where this episode comes from. Star Trek Enterprise prequel to the original series. The original concept uh, was effectively what if, you know, our first mission into deep space. They wanted to have the whole first season build up to the launch of Enterprise for the first time. The network said no. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the network said a lot of things to keep it <laughs> exciting. Um, but, you know, the intentions were one thing and reality kind of affected it in other ways and changed it to this. This is effectively a repilot of the series. So it just kind of works out. I didn't plan it this way that the first episode for Trek, Mary kill that we did was the pilot. And now we're effectively doing what the second pilot of the show is. They got, they basically did a test run of almost 50 episodes before they get to this um, or 40 episodes before they get to this. And uh, so here we are. What I did plan, but that was ultimately thwarted was that this episode was supposed to come out the same week as strange new world season two finale. Um, which I knew a couple of months ago would involve like a battle with the Gorn and again, war and what are our ideals and like challenging Damn our ideals. The, exactly. <laughs> so I thought that I'd pair a couple of 9-11-esque stories about aliens and the Enterprise uh, having to alter their behavior in the face of that new threat. Uh, but thanks to Comic-Con, Paramount just like vomited a couple of episodes out at the same time and screwed it mm. off. Oh, well. All right, just a couple of few other factoids I'll say real fast. This is the last episode to have Future Guy in it. He was set up in the pilot as some uh, mysterious agent yeah. from the future. And this Did is the I last refer time. to him as the smoking man in the first episode we watched? No, or I don't it's recall, like a, but okay, it'd be I clever. Because like, it's giving me such smoking man vibes. Again, 
if you're too young. <laughs> there was a show called The X-Files who had a character on it who you didn't really see his face, but he smoked. Where are you on The X-Files still holding up 30 years later? Because that premiered in 93, I believe. I don't I only really watched it kind of behind, like from over the shoulder of my mom and my sister. Mm. So I was never like a huge, huge fan. So I only really caught a handful of episodes per season, probably. I see. But I even, but it was very popular. And I mean, I at least knew what was going on on the show. This episode received two Emmy nominations, Outstanding Special Visual Effects for a series and Music Composition. Uh, the book Star Trek 101 lists this as one of the 10 essential episodes of Star Trek en- Enterprise. We will see about that. <laughs> I yeah. have some thoughts about that. Uh, and then finally, the alien 9-11 ray gun cuts a swath from Florida to Venezuela, according to the show. But uh, mm-hmm. Memory Alpha points at points out that no part of Venezuela is directly south of Florida. Yeah. And, and one shot shows a line. I was aware of that. I, yeah. <laughs> I am bad with geography and maps. I'm a typical American in that regard. But yes, I also just generally think that this Zindi weapon uh, that they got help from from the future, 400 years in the future, as part of some temporal war, was kind of a stupid. What was the point of it? Because <laughs> so, they're going to come back with a bigger re- weapon that blows up the planet. It seems like yeah, like well, we warned them that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had plenty of time. The next one's bigger, I swear. <laughs> uh, and then finally, I like to think that they are going into Expansistan. That's what I've decided to call it. But at the end mm-hmm. of the episode, it's setting up the third season, which is supposed to be not totally serialized, but it is one big story. Which I, oh, go I ahead. forgot that this was the series, like the season finale. And I was like, man, they got a lot to wrap up here. <laughs> or like, I didn't like, or like, I didn't forget that. It, but I thought that like, wow, they got a lot of loose ends to tie up in uh, 10 minutes left <laughs> in the episode. And then I'm like, oh, it's setting yeah. up the whole next season. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Deep Space Nine became the cool kids in both Star Trek and TV by doing season arcs or, you know, long arcs. And so Star Trek had been the other shows, Voyager and Enterprise had been wanting to do some version of that and were kept getting denied. And they used the tragedy of 9-11 to finally do that, to finally get what they want. And they think it helped reinvigorate the show. All that said, this is why I love that we're doing this podcast, because between seasons one, two and three, I don't have a lot of fond memories of Enterprise, and I'm happy to go back and take a look at these. So should we get into the grades? Yeah. Um, so actually, I couldn't, when they were going to the Expanse, this isn't in any of the grades, but I could not, for the life of me, remember the name of the operation of going into either Afghanistan or Iraq. And I I still can't. I'm trying to Google it, and I'm not having any luck. Isn't one of them but, Operation Enduring Freedom? Yeah, I'm right? Kind of one of them is, and then... Um, there was many operations and I don't, or at least what they were called in the press, like publicly. But yeah, the only one I can remember is operation enduring freedom, which I thought that was more of like a surge of troops. I don't remember when things were looking grim. Yes. The surge. I remember that being a, a key phrase, but I don't even know if that was in Afghanistan or Iraq. That was okay. in Iraq. Yep. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> we'll cut all this out. Who cares? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, great scenes. I only put down one great scene, <laughs> although I like the I like space battles and, uh, you know, on HD, it, it looks really nice. But they were there's they were perfunctory space battles for the most part. So the only great scene that I put down and I'm kind of doing it mockingly, but it's the scene where they where it's Archer and Trip having a drink. And they're discussing, you know, Trip's thanking Archer's dead dad for, you know, for no one who's seen the show before. You know, that Archer's dad helped design the Warp 5 engine, and now it's going to help, you know, save humanity, defend humanity. And they've got, like, the weight of the world, the fate of the world on their shoulders now. And art, and because they're going to go find them. They've accepted the mission to go into the Delphic Expanse to hunt down these Zindi, which the future guy has told Archer is going to uh, bring back a bigger device to destroy all of Earth. Uh, very flimsy uh, fact-finding there by Archer. To convince oh everybody, 
using the emotion oh, of the Lindsay, moment I, to convince yeah, me. Yeah, we have, I have some, <laughs> we get into, I'll get into that yeah. later. So I have, a, it has a great scene. It's just, it's like kind of a quiet moment between the two of them. Trip has learned his sister has died. They're sharing a drink like men do. And then uh, Trip is saying, you know, but we're not going to go in there tiptoeing around, right? None of that non-interference crap that T'Pol's been shoving down our throats. You know, we're going to go after these guys. And then Archer's like, we're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes became, that was another thing. Whatever it takes, we're going to do whatever it takes to stop these terrorists. That became a calling card. Um, and, uh, you know, of, of war fighters and war mongers and the entire, you know, fight war on terror. And I, I guess I have it as a great scene because it's the one scene where neither um, Scott Bakula or Connor Trenier tick me off with kind of where they go with their performances. I'll leave. I'll be that kind. Um, and I also just have I'm putting in there mockingly because it was eff- effectively the scene that turns Star Trek on its head. Yeah, it 100% says we're not going to abide by any sort of rules because we're out for revenge and we have the technology to do it. And we have the the divine right <laughs> for a vengeance to do that. Yeah. So it's kind of um, a tongue in cheek. Great scene. But what about you? So I have two. The first one, it's not that great of a scene, but the scene with the smoking man from the future, just sort of laying it all out there and then saying that these aliens have contaminated the timeline, like he's the time variance authority from Loki season one. But um, it's not a great scene, but it just moves the plot along. Like, you need someone to be like, hey, yes, um, this is what happened. Because, like, there's no time to actually get into, find like, any fact-finding mission to figure it out. There's no time for any of that. And it just kind of moves the plot along. So I'm like, all right, fine. Um, and then the other one is, I did like the Klingon and Enterprise battle because I like a good Klingon battle. Just, you know, sparks flying and torpedoes flying. Well, which one? Because there were three of them. Yeah, no, the whole thing. Oh, at all any of them. Okay. Well, I mean, well, the one that was yeah. like mostly in the expanse. Yeah, as they are getting into the yeah. expanse. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, at the edge of the expanse. This was like kind of what the worst that TV has to offer. It's very surfacey, <laughs> generic conflict propelling a really simple plot. Like what you said, a future guy goes and just lays it all out because we don't have time to get into it. Uh-huh. But if you notice, the episode in in at least two other scenes, three other scenes, have other characters ask fill-in questions that were very important. Like to Paul saying, why didn't he tell you about this before the attack? Oh, yeah, I'm going to get into this. <laughs> Don't worry. And then there's Later this idea on. of quantum data. Yeah, so, and I just want to say this, like, but you never care about what's going on. They're borrowing, that's why I say surfacy. They're borrowing on, this is just like 9-11, you know? And just hoping that if they put enough things, not even iconography, like Battlestar Galactica a year later would go really deep into it. And so it's maybe from a taste standpoint, good that Enterprise doesn't do that. But, you know, they're trying to just pull on your sympathies of the moment to kind of carry it across. But like, I I mean, I'll get into it later, but. It's like nobody has any answers or can even like, I think I need some someone on Star Trek to be smart. Yeah, no, I, everyone's dumb. And I, I mean, like, but well, it, I don't know. We're just going to have to no plan is the best plan. I don't know. I think that is driven by, well, this is a prequel. So they're not as advanced as our other shows but that doesn't mean like not as advanced as people they're still but human like no one has like a theories or yeah like, exactly oh, I guess it could be true by xyz or like make something up like was the tech advisor off that week <laughs> like there's so many places where they they should have filled something in just by like well it could be this or it could be that like anything other than i don't know yeah, and it's like I think they wanted to avoid it being bogged down in techno babble because they didn't want it to look like Star Trek was trying to still be Star Trek in the face of something real. They're trying to talk directly to real Americans. But I was like, as I was watching this episode, I'm like, you know, you've got this stupid Klingon storyline that you're resolving and you're using yeah. that for fake conflict. I kind of feel like you have a perfect opportunity. Like, again, as I'm watching it, I'm going, why didn't they use the crew's... Um, you know, you know, the tragedy that deflates them all makes them sad and tense. 
when Duras first attacks, oh yeah, it's a descendant of Duras from the next generation. Um, when they first attack, you know, the crew is not prepared because they're depressed. And you could have made that a thing of like, my crew, it might be too depressed to go back out to space if they can't handle a Klingon ship. Because, you know, say what you want. They ha- they get bailed out in that first attack, right? Like Earth Defense oh. Forces come and save them. So you could have built it into the story of like part of this is not just it's not about Archer trying to convince people, convince the Vulcans like the, that that the the expanse is not the Bermuda Triangle and we should go. It should be trying to prove that we are the ship to, that needs to do this. And that would have been an emotional reason. That would have been a relevant reason to have a story at all about how does this affect our enterprise crew? Not how does this change Star Trek? And I mm-hmm. thought that that was a big missed opportunity that was right there. It was suggested their own story beats suggested the emotional arc of the story. And it just didn't seem like they, they had an emotional arc. Yeah. Uh, best Trek tropes. We get our first time. Uh, this is a, technically the first time in Star Trek the timeline that photon torpedoes are used. They're called photonic oh. torpedoes, but mm-hmm. there they are. So great. Love a good photon torpedo. Think it's, I feel like it's uh, maybe a little silly to introduce it this early, but whatever. Here, here they are. There's like no, and there's no limitations. They work perfectly. Not like <laughs> it's very, it's very volatile. You maybe have to be careful with these. They're kind of experimental. Nope. It all works. Oh, and I probably should have put down and I didn't is retrofit. <laughs> the enterprise you love a good retrofit yeah yeah well I mean, along those lines we get like a space dock space dock and yep, yeah you got yep. the space dock and you gotta get retrofitted obviously i do like seeing the bones of like a, sh- a starship being built it's always fun mm-hmm. I-, I like it <laughs> so we're seeing we get to see the nxo2 being built that's a good one i like that uh what do you have um, so the Vulcan guy, I don't know his name, sorry. Just assuming that humans can't possibly navigate the expanse and come out alive. He's he's probably right. <laughs> um, just in this show in particular, Vulcans really just have no regard for humans. And they think they're idiots. And they keep technology away from them. And that's all true and it's all justified. I guess, but I I didn't like the follow up scene where they send in the doctor posing as a medical doctor, but he's a psychiatrist. Oh my god! You know, medic- so to stupid. try to figure out if Archer's lost it, it's it's like a really <laughs> pointless uh, scene of conflict that that externalizes like it's other like all the uh, conflict is coming externally. It's not the crew fighting within themselves. We do have Trip snap at. Um, Malcolm at Reed at one point for asking too much about his sister, which is dumb, but it's like, I get it. People don't want to talk and I understand that, but it's like the, the conflict of the episode of the Vulcans disbelieving that any of this is real. And I, I just thought it was kind of a silly scene. It undercut that, you know what, to your point though, about the Soval thing where he's saying it's like the Bermuda triangle and all that. I kind of like that scene where it's he and, um, and the Admiral and, and Soval all talking. I kind of like that scene. Not great, but it was all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, this shadowy Klingon bridge. You know, there's light going through grates onto the Klingons when they're on their bridge of their ship. That's how you know they're the bad guys, as we've discussed <laughs> on the show before. That is just... That it was just the a perfectly amortized uh, set that they've paid for using it in Deep Space Nine and Next Generation, <laughs> probably all the way back to the motion picture. So yeah, they know they know yeah. how to shoot it. There, it's ready to go. Yeah, there we got the lights all set up. Uh, I do think it's a little nutty the uh, that the Klingon arc, if you really think about it. Uh, Enterprise is on Earth for a long time. It takes a long time for them to get to Earth, and then they're there for a while before they go back Months. on their trip. Yeah, and months to get to the expanse, and the Klingons have just been hanging out waiting for them. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I have for best Trek tropes. Worst Trek tropes: uh, a nebula or a barrier that evens a fight. So <laughs> mm. Even if I like the fight itself, I'm like, all right, this is a little tired. So <laughs> D- dense pockets of gas is making it hard to navigate or yeah, literally making it hard to navigate, but also effective for doing a, a nice flip of the ship, um, which was somehow difficult to do. So uh, what about you? Worst Trek tropes? Just them really, they really skipped over the tech part of the techno babble. What was the carbon dating or whatever? 
quantum, quantum dating, dating yeah <laughs> of the metal well, what could this mean well i don't know like come on man just throw out a the, theory or something the quantum dating is such a weird so we can talk about this is this the moment to talk about the quantum dating scene then yeah the premise of it I understand from a Star Trek techno babble standpoint, it's like this can show that the, this energy is out of time. I understand that, but dating something will always date it from the decay. So that thing that was built 400 years in the future was still built at a certain date from when it was installed. It will have decayed in that time. Technically the dating should just show how much time has passed since it was, it came into being in, and they're examining it. That's all the decay could possibly indicate. So the idea of quantum decay, it yeah, they're they're just brushing they're just brushing past it. But another thing they could do is they could have done is just say here's um here they could have just been a little bit more of uh, raised the question in our minds a little bit more and said like here's an element that doesn't exist, and it's like yeah. well elements Something elements like can be made, and it's like yeah but like this element exhibits these features or something. I have a guy from the future. And when I left his place, I had some sort of like, he could have had some sort of skin rash or something, uh, Archer, some sort of effect from having been in the room with future guy because he got kidnapped off the ship. So when he came back, it makes sense that flocks would have done an examination to make sure he was okay. And that could have shown like there, this weird energy signature was on your skin or something, whatever. And like, you put these clues together to create enough like possibility that it's real, but also leave a little bit of doubt. That would have been interesting from the side of it. But also this is just like, guys, you need to change the course of the show. It's got to be about nine 11 now. It's got to be about hunting yeah. Bin Laden. <laughs> so just get to it. <laughs> oh, Florida should not exist <laughs> in the first place. There is no reason why a state that is like, whatever, what, five feet above sea level should have still existed. Or at least, at least not be inhabitable anymore. <laughs> Climate change was well known. Yes. By 2003, unless you were a dum-dum. And well, rising sea levels was a thing. NASA has known for a long time that it, they're on borrowed time with being in, based in Florida. They've known that yeah. since they set up there. Yeah. Uh, but well, we're going to pack it in after, soon. Yeah. I vaguely recall it looked like, and maybe I'm wrong, obviously, but my recollection, because uh, I watched this episode, audience, I'm not exaggerating. I watched this episode four times because it's been very hot in LA. The episode actually kind of moves at a decent clip, like as a good pace. So it's not like yeah. a pain to rewatch, but also I was just like, am I giving it a fair shake or am I miserable from the heat or just not in the mood? So I watched it four times. It looked like that the laser beam was cutting through a Florida that they had dolled up to show that it had more of it had been submerged. Mm. And I could be wrong and that's fine, but I'm just saying like the, the, I, well, I don't want to spoil the next grade, but, but yes, you're right. I definitely agree. Like they, they say in a uh, Voyager that LA is underwater by the, you know, by that time. So like, f why is not Florida underwater? <laughs> yeah. in LA, for those who don't know, I think it's about like 350 feet above sea level. Thereabouts. So yeah. higher than Florida. <laughs> yeah. but, um, hey, what do I know? Well, apparently, um, you know where that Florida and Venezuela do not connect. So, yeah, I well, I knew that I too. <laughs> um, and also, uh, one more for me: the Vulcan ship distress call had multiple, numerous camera angles, and that doesn't make any sense. Oh, good! You're one of the. That's right. We've talked about this when there's like cinematography yeah. involved in the mm -hmm. in the security or. Camera when, if anything, yep. it should be a stationary CCTV feed. Yeah. Well, that was also... I'll even was... give them, like, motion activated or something. But not this moving a camera around. Like, it didn't make yes. any sense. So if you are only listening to our show instead of watching along, which is fine, thanks. <laughs> the Vulcans try to scare Archer and the humans by showing them security footage of the last time a Vulcan ship went into the Expanse. 
And it basically like they all went crazy and like one's eating faces and smearing blood on them. And it's like, <laughs> this is all it's, it's like pretty wild, to be honest. It, it, it is pretty wild. But the point is, is like it could have been wilder. They say like Klingons came out, a Klingon ship came out of there and the entire crew was turned inside out and they were still alive. I'm like, mm-hmm. they should have shown that. They should yeah. have said this is this is the Vulcan captain before the mission and this is him after the mission. Like, it just looks like all the Vulcans are on a bad acid trip and they got yep. into some red paint or something. It looks like they went to Florida and had some bath salts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Most of its time quality. Well, the visual effects, because they this is oh, the boy. This is the first time they really blew it out in terms of like, how far can we take? I think the software is called Poser. I don't know, but they use a lot of CGI characters like digital doubles, especially uh, Trip and Reed have a scene in the rubble in the mm-hmm. ground or part of Florida. It's a completely ground zero, as it were. Yeah, it looks like what the temp Orlando, Florida. Yeah, it looks now. It looks like what would now be used as like the temp VFX in a yeah, finish. Yeah, no, it looks thing. exactly like <laughs> like uh, previs. Yes, there we go. That was I was missing the word. And also before that, they they uh, start the episode at the Klingon High Command, and uh, and you get like outside the chambers these digital Klingon like background people walking around, and it looks like you're watching a video game. Not even a cutscene. It looks like your character is about to appear, and you got to walk through these people. Uh, but it's just very of its time. But it was certainly different for Star Trek. Also, something to keep in mind: when this episode aired, it was in standard def 480p, and it was uh, had black bars. It was in 16 by nine. So we get the privilege of, of 4k up res plus taking up the full screen. Yeah. You know. so, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't do it any favors. No, 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 no. They had the te- they had the tools, but they had not yet quite adjusted all the shooting styles and, and VFX fakery to match quite yet. It does get better. I think by the fourth season or even in the third season, they figure things out. I, I remember when HD first started, like they were having a big tr- trouble for a time getting the makeup right because they didn't quite realize at first that they had to change how they did makeup and even the makeup yeah. they used. So that was that that was always funny to read. What about you? All of the why would somebody do something like this? Emotional response and also like the I knew someone in those towers uh cliche type responses that we're getting from everybody on screen. Um, that's very of this time of like it touched somewhat like it, it touched everyone in some way. Right. Reed's sister or Reed points out to trip after his sister died. He's like, she died. That means she's like and he's like, she's no different from any of the other seven million people who died. So why should I be upset about one person when all these people died? It's like, mm-hmm. wow. And then well, Reed's trying to make the point. Of, you knew that yeah, person. Exactly. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Um, and also, the smoking man was like, sorry, future man. <laughs> I'm just going to call him this for, from now on. No, I like um, you, the cigarette. He's like, well, I man. didn't tell you about this before because I didn't think you'd believe me, which I think intentionally or unintentionally is possibly a reference to the report that the intelligence community had, which um, I'm not exact. I don't have it verbatim, but it is something along the lines of Al Qaeda determined to attack U.S with airplanes imminently like there was literally a report on somebody's desk called that like before 9-11 they were like oh we didn't know we could they were completely caught off guard of like of course no one would believe it like who can like i will tell you all these things and you will not believe it that's true and then like all of like you saw the last um avengers movie right yes and people are like captain america went back in the back into the past with a time machine why didn't he stop 9-11 i'm like i don't know maybe he did maybe he wrote that report and put it on someone's desk and no one did anything about it <laughs> what if he's the uh, one who stole that material from the rand corporation about the vietnam war what you know like all these things of like oh why didn't you stop this or that like he maybe he tried we don't know you uh really actually are hitting in the nail on the head i think that's absolutely true Star Trek has always reflected the time in which it's made. And as much as I feel like this is like a tired pitcher pitching, you know, tunings more than they should. 
it's entirely possible that they're like, well, if we have to write a 9-11 Star Trek, let's do it. Let's put it all in there. It just seemed to be the most obvious thing that they could have done. When I say great scenes for me, I look for drama. How does not only do, how does it serve the story? Is there like a great performance? Is there something really interesting in there? It's like, is it great drama? And that scene where he just lays it out, it's like we just need to get, we just need to set up our premise. Like it doesn't do anything else. Why didn't you tell me before? He could have said, I'm in a time war. This this thing is is uh, fluid. The situation is constantly yeah. changing. I it didn't happen when I you know when we it happened whenever it happens when it happens, and to that effect, that scene should not have ended with the hard cut. That scene should have ended with that connection being severed, and then mm-hmm. Archer looking to the Sulban going like, uh, and then the Sulban being like, that's never happened before. This must be pretty serious. Like you yeah. could have done it like in other ways to raise the stakes or make it clear. This is altering the universe. They, they didn't do that. But uh, your point is like exactly right. It's like, I think playing into the, like the, we knew part of it. I mean, how that doesn't make our characters all it winds up doing is making Archer more agitated when people ask him about it though. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember to Paul, that's what happens in the next scene. And Archer's just going like, oh, I don't know. He didn't want to. He didn't think I'd believe him. Shut up. That's <laughs> basically his response. And he wouldn't have believed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't believe he him. He wouldn't have believed this him. crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, in case you haven't watched the episode, the reason the future man is telling him is because this they're not supposed to. That's not supposed to have happened. What's really interesting now that we're doing, we're putting all these together is. Timeline has been corrupted. Yes, the time, timeline's been corrupted. Enterprise established that there's a temporal Cold War going on in the future. Uh-huh. And they're trying to affect these events and all that stuff. Guess what? There's going to be a payoff of this of some kind in Strange New Worlds when we get to that oh. episode. Um, all right. I had one more of its time. And I mentioned this earlier about how they talk about Trip's sister, which really pissed me off. Having two sisters, for one thing. I it seems like pretty easy drama to make us really care as though we lost a sister. Well, but she we doesn't never get, saw her on screen though, right? We ever? never saw her. He doesn't look at a picture of her. When uh, Archer is asking, he says younger or older. He doesn't know yeah. his best never friend's sister's name. Never. It's it's enough that if the... they don't, you know, if they didn't come up, I'm okay with that. But the way you crash into this, wait, he has a sister, is not to be like, oh, I have a sister and she might be dead. It's like, what if it's like my my retired parents were there or something? Yeah, that. But like, we don't even get her name until like the fourth scene where they're talking about her, and he goes, oh, you mean Lizzie? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like they forgot to put her name in there. Yeah, Elizabeth. your dead sister. Yeah, we don't know anything about her except except she'd be mad when he went to the movies without her. Like, that's it. That We don't know anything. We don't care about her. She's just, she's just like, she barely gets a name and he's just angry about it. That's, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. It, it was very, it was like very like, well, somebody has to have lost somebody on the crew with, and I guess they didn't want to have to introduce anybody earlier. So. And actually my final one is most of its time is the entire concept of the episode and the direction of the series Hence, mm-hmm. let's go on a revenge quest. That's <laughs> right. We're going to find Bin no, Laden. It's not, we'll... it's not so much revenge. They have to try to stop them from from developing the bigger weapon, right? It's not sure. Totally 100%. We fight them there so we don't fight them here. Mm-hmm. Remember, that was another thing. Fight them over there yeah. so we don't have to fight them here. Uh, and, and obviously, they kind of turned away from like, no, it's not one to one Bin Laden, the Zindi. Because we'll find out that the Zindi is like there are several different species that make up the Zindi. Uh-oh. So it's not just one person that you're after. It's like a consortium Uh-oh. of people. Uh, so it's different. Ha ha. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I actually have one, but you go first. I only have one as well. And that is when the psychiatrist is examining Archer and sick bay and Flock screams, you came into my sick bay under false pretenses. Where are your medical ethics? Uh, I don't think Fox had any screen time up until then. No, I do enjoy John Billingsley, and he always gives it his all. That was great. Where are your medical ethics, sick bird man? (laughs) 
Uh, mine was Soval's line uh, when they're inspecting the record wreckage with the uh, quantum calculators. And uh, he says... Um, that are always 100% accurate is what we've right. just learned. That's the only thing. And a Vulcan has no curiosity about their function or, you know, is, you know, fascinated or suggests how they could work. Uh, he says, a lack of an explanation doesn't make your assumption correct. Boy, yeah. could a lot of people stand mm-hmm. to be told that. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, that is pretty good. Just put in a bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I... It was kind of difficult, but I Jolene Blaylock as to Paul. Okay, sure. We've seen we've seen many Vulcan performances since Enterprise from Enterprise on. You know, Soval. There's you know the Vulcan, the lying Vulcan that comes in the sick bay. We've seen other Vulcans, Ethan Peck as the new Spock, and all the new Vulcans in Strange New Worlds and Discovery. It really is Leonard Nimoy and and Mark Lennard as as Sarek, as his dad in the original series. And then Jolene Blaylock, I think, is the third best portrayal of a Vulcan in Star Trek. And they didn't give her character fucking shit to do in this episode. No, they didn't. It was a false dilemma or it was like an, an inert nothing dilemma that was just thrown in there because it's like, we're repiloting the show and we're, and she's still under contract. So how is she? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, we're going to have to figure out some <laughs> yeah. story for her. We don't know what it's going to be. But she was a Vulcan and not in a way that you thought she was being smarmy or difficult. And I, it seemed like she was trying to also channel Nimoy a little bit too. So I don't know. I thought it was good, but it was hard for me. I don't know. It was easy yeah, for you? I'm fine with that. No, okay. I, I didn't. This was a tough one for me. So for, the Shat- for the Shatner, there was a part of me of like, I almost wanted to start our show saying like, let's tr- experiment and jumble some of these grades out of order because some some things need to be talked about right away. Uh, mm. I almost want to give it to everyone else other than Jolene Blaylock, but it's got to be Scott Bakula. I don't know what the hell he's doing in this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, it's all over the place. However, I would like to nominate not a single performer, mind you. But the ever-changing death count from the attacks. Now, at first, it's 3 million. Then later, it's 7 million. And then as they've counted all the dead, now it's 10 million. 10 million people is so many freaking people. It is unimaginable amounts of people dead in one single event. That is going for it a little too hard. That is like, <laughs> like generational amounts of trauma for many, for, you know, centuries. No one's getting over this one. What does this kick off? This kicks off Star Trek's entire, every premise of a Star Trek story from this point on is there's a 9-11 and they keep upping the scale of the 9-11. So yeah. in one, it, it, it first starts as 1 million, as much as 1 million is what they say in the uh, initial yeah, yeah, yeah. briefing. And so then it gets to 10 million. Then we get Star Trek 2009, where... The entire planet of Romulus is destroyed and then Vulcans mm-hmm. completely destroyed. Yeah. So you have these overlapping 9-11 incidents like the Romulus 9-11 creates another 9-11. Uh, and then Star Trek Into Darkness is about preventing another 9-11. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. that one I has overlapping. must have just and developed some procedure that kind of blocks the trauma part of the trauma response part of your brain or something. There's no possible way that like any... Like, there's not a way to adapt to that much nine that many nine elevens for humans. I mean, I don't know about Romulans, but happen doesn't that happen with human beings? Like large numbers become too abstracted that we stop caring or can't process it, so we give up. Like the the idea, like trying to get people to understand yeah. what it means to be a billionaire is like so. Like, yeah. oh, it's more than a million. It's like no, no so it's like quite the a lot more. Of people who have died from COVID, it's probably more than 10 million i would think but like it's so such a crazy amount that's why there's people who are like oh no it was a fake disease like nobody really died is that just the united states or worldwide yeah it's like unimaginable amounts of death and so it just becomes like oh I, like you can't like 10 million people is the entire population of la county so let's so- just say like in one swoop all of them are dead we're all dead like you, it's hard to 
imagine that and it's hard to cope with that likely just be like i don't know like it's just unfathomable yeah so do you think there are like swath truth uh truthers out there because they oh, oh there's gotta be right well i mean yeah. you can see the giant line in florida from where it <laughs> happened though right <laughs> so there's that but in the ocean, you probably can't see it. So a Vulcan conspiracy, or it's a conspiracy yeah, involving these how, Vulcans. Like, yeah, they. There's got to be like a fringe of people who are like the Vulcan. This never happened before when the Vulcans weren't here. Yeah, that's probably better because Scott Bakula's terse tantrums were. I don't know what to what to say. I don't know what he was channeling. I don't know what was in the script. But I think the show going for embracing the 9-11 arc is probably better suited. and also there should not have been that many people living in central florida <laughs> the ocean and then venezuela once you made that turn in a in a culture that is slowly emerging from or uh evolving into a post-scarcity reality yes I it looks like, it's, you what, can live like anywhere. A fourth, it's like a canyon a fourth of a mile wide or so maybe half a mile it is, i think it, the implication it, is like the grand canyon is 4,000 mm-hmm. kilometers now uh, across Florida and the ocean. Uh, what part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? Well, no one seemed to have any answers about anything, so I don't actually have an answer for this one, <laughs> just like the crew. I think they're going to figure out what the quantum dating technology seems like something that yeah. requires some uh, getting into understanding how it actually works. I mean... I, I had like why the quantum dating doesn't quite make sense. But again, I'm not an expert in quantum mechanics and presumably some Starfleet Academy I. professors are, but yeah, but some Starfleet Academy professors might be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know anything about quantum mechanics, except yeah. I did see Oppenheimer. So I guess that makes me an expert. I did too. And I feel like my biggest takeaway from that movie is that Christopher Nolan is a wonderful technical director who really, really gets bothered by women? <laughs> like they really, find, they really I creep was them so out. <laughs> uncomfortable at that part where Oppenheimer's talking to that committee and he's naked, and then he's banging a uh, Florence Pugh. I'm okay with meeting. that scene that, because that I was scene okay. Was, yeah. so I was like <laughs> snickering. I was like, "This is weird." And okay, or Emily Blunt looking Blunt. on. I thought that was okay. That was like an uh, artistic expression of the emotional state she was in. She was like, I'm, it's like I'm having to watch him, you know, have sex with his mistress right in front of me talking about it. Mm-hmm. What I could not, what I laughed out loud in a fully packed IMAX theater was, was when he read the I have become death line as he's entering Florence Pugh. That's yeah. what I was like, all right, this is the film. This is the film school student doing his thing here have you seen the screenshot or the picture someone took of that of that scene in the script no no i have not it's written from the first person perspective of oppenheimer and it literally has the words we are f***ing and it's describing it from the first person uh we have a running joke in our house we have a running joke in our household do you remember the 30 rock joke where uh she's talking to jack and and he's gonna like have sex with whoever and she slaps the back of both of her hands together and she's like you two are gonna uh 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 and he goes is that sex lemon and she goes is how i do it and so (laughs) whenever we see stuff like that in the wild of like weird stuff and like is that sex christopher nolan he's like it is how i do it (laughs) he is on record saying that it was very uncomfortable for him to film because he had never done a sex scene He's like, how do I make I, it profound? <laughs> no, so I was like, this ha- can't. This has to be a joke, and it is not a joke. That is from the published screenplay, and a lot of it is written from the first person. And apparently, the Christopher Nolan's um, explanation is, um, well, I wanted to make sure we were we were not losing his perspective. And I'm like, you're the fucking director, man. Like, who do you, you weren't sure who was going to direct it? You're about to put his face on a four-story screen. We're going to be on I mean, screen. yeah, you're shooting in 77 millimeter. Like, how are you, like, you think someone else is going to do that on film? I mean, like, you might as well just write a coherent screenplay so that, you know, 
the wardrobe and you know the set designers know what the fuck's going on or whatever like it i don't it's very strange i'll, I'll try to find it for you um and I can't wait. my <laughs> husband is is hoping that he gets sent that screenplay when um oh, terry award season he's a, yes. yeah he's a wga member yeah so um <laughs> he is hoping against hope that he gets a copy <laughs> sent to him in the mail. That is probably worthy of, you know how they have the movie posters that they should mm-hmm. just do a movie poster size of just that passage. My goodness. I like the movie. I thought it was good. I can't believe a three hour movie held my attention uh, that well. Yeah. And I actually liked the last hour. I know a lot of people thought it was kind of boring, but I liked no, it. I loved it. I, uh, I really liked but it. Made the movie work, uh, but I can't believe I liked Barbie more than I liked Oppenheimer. I mean, I liked the uh, movie. I wouldn't say I liked well, I, the thing is, they're two different films. Yes, but two I'm just saying I, I walked out of Barbie liking that more than I walked out of Oppenheimer oh. liking it, even though I thought it was good. So, I don't know. So, well, you know what movie I'm going to go see this week? What's that? I'm going to go see Mission Impossible again. <laughs> oh, I saw it twice in the first three days. Yeah, I know. I know you did. <laughs> and I oh, literally could not make it to either of those. That's the sad part. I had a thought. Should we do? Because uh, at some point they're going to be forced to financially release the second one, finish shooting it, and do the second one. And I kind of like, do do we do Hunt Mary Kills? Yo, <laughs> just for the movies, then that that might be fun. Yeah. Could this episode? Think... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. no okay. I, I think it's actually still making money though. So. Oh yeah, I'm not. I was trying to think like they knew the the strikes were going to happen. I mean, the studios have been planning to lock them all out for at least a year. And it's like, they couldn't have known that. Well, Paramount has a stake in Indiana Jones, so they couldn't put mission impossible against that. Then I forgot that there was a fast movie that came out. So no one knew that was going to bomb. And then it's like, you can't do it around guardians, but between guardians you know, and then there was Spider-Verse. So it's like there was kind of like all these things like what's the best time? And then you had to do it before the strike so that crews could at least promote it for a time. Yeah. Um, so it was just like bad timing. Like it would have been a great August yeah, it was movie. Horrible timing. Yeah. So all right. Could this episode have been hornier and would that have made it better? This is our new So grade. are you trying to suggest that the very special 9-11 episode of Star Trek would have been better if it were hornier? <laughs> now what level of hornier? Uh we are horny or um like actual horny that's that's why i'm glad we we drifted into the oppenheimer discussion Orange archer's, on top archer, of... yeah, archer's looking at a picture yeah. of the zindi weapon as a woman lowers herself onto him uh well look there is a cut scene there was a, this episode was 10 minutes long longer initially they had to cut out 10 minutes one of those scenes was uh, Archer going to a restaurant in San Francisco and uh, maybe a Japanese restaurant and meeting a woman named Becky, who in the credits appears to have been, uh, is Kristen, Kristen Scott Thomas's sister. So there's another okay. Mission, Mission Impossible tie-in. Anyway, uh, this Becky woman was uh, like a hookup for Archer. And she was saying like, oh, I'm surprised to see you here. Are you back because of the attacks? And it's so they're kind of like trying to have him just talk about it some more. But the scene didn't add anything to the story. It just tried to show like this guy. Don't forget, Archer is a man. He fucks. You want a man who fucks to go after Bin Laden, right? A pure red blooded American man. And they cut the scene. So they certainly had the intention that the episode could be hornier. Uh, (laughs) Now, would it have made it better for me? Yes. But I think it would have gotten some very bad backlash if it were you know, someone started having sex right after the attacks. Well, so that I kind of, I agree surface wise, but I think that's what this episode is missing, not sex, but the range of human emotions that accompanies grief and tragedy. People Mm -hmm. when they're sad, it's a thing that happens. Human beings do it. Yeah. There are hot members on the enterprise bridge crew though. It didn't have to be. Yeah. Cause like the first episode we watched, that was very horny. Yeah, that's right. It literally has a scene where a woman just randomly kisses Archer mm-hmm. to make sure he's telling the truth. Yeah, <laughs> and like the crew members uh, have to strip down because they right. get contaminated. 
That's right. They have to rub oil or whatever <laughs> thing all over them, themselves. The, yeah. Yeah, the decon chamber. Mm-hmm. Would it have made the episode better, I guess, is the second question. So, yes, this episode could have been hornier. It was in there. Would it have made it better? It I dep- don't know. What they had, so I guess if we just go off the text of written, no. What they had would not have made it better. No. Um, but if, like, you could have had a complication where Trip hooks up with his sister's friend or something. You know what I mean? It's oh, like yeah. some some, co- some complication like that, at least. It would have made some sense, but I, I don't know. Uh, all right, so here we go. Heading into the expanse of Trek, Marry, or Kill, Kristen. You know what? I don't like this episode. <laughs> I don't either. I'm killing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, 9-11. <laughs> the terrorists have won, Brian. Uh, I'll never forget that we killed this episode. I'd... Oh, I'm going to forget tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I as a course as a course change for the entire IP, just to be really glib and and uh, cynical about this, uh, I hate I hate it. <laughs> the fact that it changed the course of Star Trek, I really hate it. I think when people talk about what they like about Enterprise, it's the fourth season, which doesn't connect to this. The third season is really like a, a weird, you know, twenty four. It's let's hunt some terrorists. And then on the way, we'll remember that we need to have Star Trek or Federation values. Federation hasn't been formed yet, but like we need to have some values about life and respect and understanding and all that stuff. At the same time, it's like having your cake and eating it too. It's like, ah, eh, you're still revenge is okay under certain circumstances. You know, you're still trying to play into the American impulse of like, it doesn't matter what caused it. Doesn't matter if we miss, we just got to keep going until the thing we've identified as the problem is exterminated. Mm-hmm. And that, and then what is, is the question we don't bother to answer ever. So it feels good to kill that one though. Someone needed yeah. to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, next week, we jump back into strange new worlds with a look at its season two premiere, the broken circle, Dr. Mabenga and nurse chapel give themselves roid rage, Kristen to get out of a tricky situation. <laughs> oh, Okay. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars there or right there in your Spotify app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can follow us online on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod. And we refreshed our website, TrekMaryKillPod.com, which has links and standings of everything we've rated so far. So until next week. Oh, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so until next week, TMK out. <laughs>